Beyond the Bedroom is back for season two and it feels really good to be recording again. I'm sitting here with my heating pad on and I'm so excited to be getting into some little life updates, some hot topics, and I'll get right into it. I hate foreplay. (laughs) It's really just I hate the term. I like all the stuff that is usually associated with foreplay, but I want to get into why I really hate this term. I'll also be talking about my unofficial review of Clona Willy and how to spot if things are really body safe or not. So welcome back to Beyond the Bedroom. And if you're a new listener, hi, I'm Birna. I'm a sex educator and I will answer any of your questions from the raunchy to the health related. And I am changing it up a little bit this season. I'm going to be tackling some more, you know, in-depth questions, sharing some more anecdotes and a couple interviews. So without further ado, let's get into it. Why do I hate foreplay? So I really just hate this term. It kind of just centers this whole idea that we're always doing something to kind of warm up to penetration. And I know that I've talked about this before in season one, that we often think about sex, you know, the pinnacle of sex as being penis and vagina penetration. People ask all the time, like, how do lesbians have sex? Because they can't fathom, you know, they always think that lesbians use strap-ons, for example, which in my experience dating women, we do not always use strap-ons. I mean, obviously they come out, sometimes but we're not tied to them like it's not like we're not having sex without penetration i really just i hate this idea that like everything has to be warm up for this great event and this grand finale and the reason why i think a lot of people have a hard time reaching orgasm with a partner is because we're putting all this pressure on this you know the main event I attended this lecture once that was, it really was about like the myths of sex for men, which is a really great topic that I'm going to be covering in this season as well. But it was this idea that there's the appetizer and the entree. The woman coming could possibly be like the dessert, but dessert is optional. And in my mind, I was like, appetizers are also optional. That is so bizarre to phrase it that way. But anyway, I was thinking, why do we have to categorize our sexual behavior this way? And it really just comes down to heteronormativity, obviously, but it also comes down to why do we put so much emphasis on putting this hierarchy of things that we enjoy? It's not necessarily that one sexual behavior is more important than others, which is why when I hear people say, oh, well, I masturbated, but I used a toy, so I don't know if that counts. It blows my mind because you did something sexual by yourself, albeit, which should be celebrated. Of course it counts as sexual pleasure. And I'm not saying you have to count it as sex, you know, like partnered sex is obviously a different experience biologically and in a lot of other senses, emotionally, and for some people even spiritually. But of course that counts. It's the reason why now, you know, period trackers have that option, a lot of them, to count masturbation. Because it's an indicator of your sex drive, but also also, it's just nice to have that relationship with yourself 
be as important as your partnered relationships. And I think that that's an idea that I run into a lot in my work is this idea that partnered sex is somehow better in every single way and they're just different. It's also this idea that like oral sex isn't really sex, using your hands and fingers isn't the same as using a penis. And it's really bizarre because I get people asking me, how can I learn to like penetrative sex? And how can I learn to like giving a blowjob? And if I ask them like, well, does your partner do something to compromise? And they say, no, of course not. I mean, why would he? And I kind of reflect on my own way of thinking, which for a long time, and as many of you know, I grew up in the United States, on the East Coast, in the greater New York area, and in a pretty conservative little pocket of a blue state. And it's really bizarre that I encounter this all the time in my own thoughts, and I'm still trying to (laughs) dismantle it, is that I try to push myself through something and if my husband goes, well, you don't really need to do that. Why do you think you need to do that? And my first reaction is like, well, that's what women are supposed to do. I still deal with that. And I know to a lot of my Icelandic friends, especially it sounds so ridiculous. And also people that might have not grown up around that type of environment. It's something that I really do encounter a lot in my own thoughts. And it's the reason that I hate the term foreplay and people call me like a man hater. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I hate this term even when it's used to describe lesbian sex or even like non-binary people having sex. Like why do we have to also like subscribe gender identity and sexual orientation to the types of sex we have? Going off on this into a little bit of a tangent, the idea that pegging is a different sex act than anal sex. And I'll say that again, the idea that penetrating somebody anally is different somehow, depending on if that person is straight or not, and if that person is cis or not also. I always found that so interesting. And I use the term pegging, and now I'm starting to just say anal penetration or anal sex, because I know why people have made it a distinction. And I want to believe that it's because this is might be like a first time anal situation where it's just somehow different. But we don't say that when, for example, lesbians using a strap on anally, we don't call that pegging per se. And I also had this conversation with someone who was saying, well, it's just the act of a straight guy getting, you know, pegged is different than gay sex. And I was saying, well, what's different about it besides maybe somebody's sexual orientation? He was like, well, the bodies. And I was like, but you know, if a trans person was pegging a cis dude, what would that be? And he was just like, oh, oh my God. We just did this so we wouldn't sound gay. And I was like, yes. (laughs) I'm not going to say like, oh, this is all rooted in homophobia. I'm not saying it's deliberate. But I think it's really interesting how we use words like foreplay, pegging, also things like femdom, just to other yourself from things that are in other terms queer. And I kind of see this more and more because now I'm working in a sex toy shop and When people come in and they say, well, I'm looking for something to use anally and I need them to tell me like, is this something for yourself? Are you looking for a strap on? And depending on what they're looking for, I can kind of guess, you know, what kind of stuff they're going to be engaging in. And usually like what I ask is like, you know, if there's a prostate involved or not, because we have different toys for that than if you don't. And I go about this way more delicately than what I'm describing here. But whenever I get men 
in that don't want to really like admit that it's for themselves. I go about it very differently than men who just immediately are like, uh, no, I, I know what I want and XYZ. And I'm, I'm wondering why is it that we've subscribed all of this stuff to various sex acts? It's all so loaded. It has so much baggage and it really doesn't need to. And we can definitely dismantle this and normalize this and, you know, whatever buzzwords we want to throw at it. But I think also a big part of it is how do we just do and find what feels good without having to unpack everything all the time? Because when we intellectualize all of our likes and our dislikes and our fantasies and the things we enjoy doing and what makes us orgasm, we tend to dig this hole And I have definitely fallen into this trap and I see people fall into this all the time where there's a difference between just noticing what you like, seeing if there's like reasons for it, and then really like trying really hard to dig and and grasp at straws to attribute characteristics that might not even be there to things that we enjoy doing. Like a good case is a guy friend of mine came to me and said, I really want to try pegging. And I was like, so you like, you want your girlfriend to like wear a strap on or like, can you explain more what you want to do? And he was saying, well, I just want to try anal play. Like, I just want to try anal. And he said it really interesting. He was going, well, because I really want to do it to my girlfriend, but I just feel bad doing that to her if she doesn't do it to me first. And I was like, well, is that something you want to do? And he was like, well, I just want it to be fair. And I get that. Like, that's totally fine if you think that way. Anal is something that for a lot of people is also just a loaded term and comes with a lot of stuff, not just in terms of like shame and all that, but in terms of just, it's a big step to take and it can be a very vulnerable experience for some people. So I understand you want to, you know, level out the playing field, so to speak. But I was asking him like, do you really want to do it? And then by the end of the conversation, he was saying, I've always fantasized about this. I've actually experimented with it on my own. I have put fingers up there I've played with my prostate and I think it's so hot when a woman like wants to do that to me and I was saying why don't you just say those things to her and he was like well she's gonna think I'm gay I was like well why does your girlfriend why would she think that you were gay just because you want your prostate touched and then he was saying I know it's just this irrational fear and then looking back he goes this is really kind of homophobic of me I need to do some work and I think it's something that like I said it's not always deliberate it's just the way that we've all been conditioned that like if you put things in your butt as a man you must be gay and there's nothing wrong with liking anal there's nothing wrong with doing any of that how does this connect to foreplay i know it's just these terms that we've created to categorize sex and put it in a hierarchy and just like most things in society sexual behavior and the way that we feel about ourselves as sexual beings the way that we categorize our sexual behavior it's really just a reflection of how we function as a society. There's a really big difference a lot of the time when I am teaching here in Iceland versus over in different parts of the U.S. because I am encountering different cultural perspectives. For example, I I often encounter here in Iceland women that say, I always have wanted to be submissive in bed and I just have always wanted to be like tied up, for example, but I don't want my boyfriend, husband, like I'm hooking up with to think that I'm weak and that's another thing this label that we've subscribed to submission 
is weakness. This label we've subscribed to the receiver of penetration as weak. And there's a lot of strength and vulnerability, which I'm sure you've heard before, but also there's a lot of trust and power in allowing someone to be physically inside of your body. You're allowing that person in. And if you change your perspective on what being submissive really is, and submission and receiving penetration are not the same thing, but in this instance, you know, she was equating them together. But if you change your perspective on what submission actually is, which is you're allowing somebody to be in the driver's seat and you're allowing them to play within the boundaries you've created, you set those rules and you create the roadmap, so to speak, for that experience, you might feel more empowered than the traditional role that we subscribe to submissive people. Same thing with penetration. Going back to pegging, a lot of people that want to have anal sex, they think that, oh, but it's like a lot to let someone do to me. I might be seen as weak. And that's really what they're conflating. I might be seen as gay. I might be seen as feminine. I might be seen as the receiver. What is so bad about that? <laughs> you know, and it's these labels that we've subscribed to. I think also there's terms that we throw around kind of interchangeably, like the receiver, the giver, submissive, dominant, top, bottom. And I see, for example, like a lot of straight cis women being like, I have top energy and people like freaking out at them <laughs> online. And I'm like, okay, just, you know, people will say things and they might not know all of the heavy kind of history that comes behind this stuff. And I myself as a queer person often, have that urge to be like, wait a second, no, you're not a part of this. And I would never say, even if I was, I don't know, like I personally am very different when I date girls versus when I date guys. But I've also, like I've dated trans women, I've dated non-binary people, I've dated straight cis people, and it kind of all just boils down to the type of personality they had. And that's such a boring answer for the people that are always like, what kind of person? Person, do you like the best? Do you like girls better? Oh my god, they're so soft and pretty. And I'm like, um, <laughs> it's just like anyone can have whatever personality. I really just have been doing a lot of work going through the ways that we put these labels on what we do and the heaviness that comes with that sometimes. A lot of people ask me that question, you know, like, what kind of person do you like the best? Or what sex is better or what's your preference? And a lot of people ask by pan queer people this question, like, what's your preference? And I think it's just in a perfect world, I would be like, oh, I like everyone equally. But I think there's just different aspects of myself that come out depending on the type of relationship I'm in. And I don't think that that has as much to do with gender as people think. I used to say like, oh, I just kind of am more dominant in a relationship with women. But I noticed that, for example, when I was in kind of a group relationship dynamic and during maybe threesomes with a man and a woman, I wasn't that dominant person as when I'm like alone with a woman or just dating a girl on my own. And I was like, maybe it's not that I'm more dominant. Maybe it's just I feel more myself because I've been doing this thing for my whole life where I'm conditioned to kind of not take up as much space around men or something like that. Going back to not over-intellectualizing, I've been just trying to notice what I'm feeling instead of like trying to figure out where everything comes from all the time. But I, I notice especially like I feel smaller 
sometimes when I'm in a dynamic where there's a man around and I'm working on that and I'm okay with that and I'm okay with it because I acknowledge it. It's just a feeling. It doesn't need to rule over all of my behavior and it comes up once in a while and that's normal given what I've gone through. Something I've definitely learned also taking this break away from my work is just to give myself some grace. Sleep in, wear the heating pad during work, go about my day without overthinking everything. So much easier said than done, I know. <laughs> but going about my life like I'm really in the driver's seat. And to some people that might sound very strange, but operating on my feelings based on what I'm feeling that day, how I really truly feel about myself has really just informed me about so much. It's such a huge change is actually kind of tough to boil down to words, but something just really big shifted for me in December. I also just started opening up more about my personal life again for the first time in kind of a while. I shared my feelings about things and try to be more honest about what was going on for me. And it's one of those things like I don't need to use the term foreplay, even though I'm a sex educator. I don't need to say there's a distinction between anal sex and pegging, even though that's kind of the cultural norm. I don't need to do those things. And I think that's something that I've really started to focus on. I was very meticulous with this podcast in the past and often wrote down everything I wanted to say. And I will be doing that in my other episodes as well, but I just wanted to sit and chat for a little bit because that's kind of when my personality shines through and really how I think people get to know me as a sex educator and what I really stand for because I've also been doing a lot of work on values. So what does this say about me that I don't like the term foreplay, that I don't like making these distinctions on behaviors depending on if you're straight or not? It means that I value autonomy. I value pleasure, which <laughs> some people might call me a hedonist for, but it's okay. I value pleasure in the way that I think it's a human right. I value being heard. I value taking up space no matter what sexual orientation you are. And I value taking up space if you're receiving penetration or being submissive just as much as being the giver or being dominant because you can be the receiver of penetration and be dominant and vice versa. And I think people should be able to take up space regardless of how they feel about their sexual entity in the bedroom and beyond. <laughs> so I have been doing a lot of work on that and I want to do some more work surrounding what our sexual values are. And I know I've mentioned this before, but we talk about values in terms of our financial values, our values with child rearing, our values with health and culture, but our values in sex are really important. Do you value your partner's pleasure more than your own? How do you feel about yourself? How do you value or what are your values when it comes to receiving and taking things in? It a lot of the times has to do with how we process information. And I think it's very interesting how people, for example, say, oh, I'm an extrovert or introvert in terms of how outgoing they are, because those terms are actually just how we process information. Introverts tend to process information in their minds, on their 
own, either writing or, or thinking things through. And extroverts tend to want to process information out loud or with others or in a more expressive way outwardly. And they're both pretty equal in terms of the kinds of processing that happen. It's not like one's better than the other. And sexual information, you know, how we receive touch, how we feel in that moment, what we're anticipating, our gas pedal, our brakes, you know, like that dual control model, that kind of information is processed either, you know, silently on your own or outwardly and expressively. So that's something that we don't touch on that much is like, you can consider yourself an extrovert because you're really outgoing when you really do process a lot of the information on your own. And then you wonder like, why am I so quiet in bed? And realize it's just because you're processing what's going on in your head. And you might love it. You might love what's going on, but you don't need to make as much noise. On the other hand, you might wonder, why is my partner so loud and expressive all the time? They must be faking it. They're just receiving that information in their body, processing the touch, the feelings, the orgasm, the changes in their bodies during sex, and they're processing it out loud. I know there's studies done that say that males receive auditory stimulation more than females. And I'm not sure if those studies are always like the summaries and the headlines about them are always written in the most informative and neutral way. And a lot of it is like evolutionary psychology, which you can either love or hate, right? But I think it's important to know kind of that you don't need to prescribe these things to a gender and you're pretty normal if you do whatever the opposite is of what people expect, you know? So values in bed and the language we use around those is so important. I read somewhere, I think it was Emily Nagowski, which I know a a lot of sex educators, including myself, quote fairly often, but that's because she did some very, very important work. It's not always how you feel about sex that influences or informs your sex life, but it's the way you feel about yourself as a sexual person. And that's the kind of work I've been doing. And I realized I don't like the term foreplay because I value me and pleasure equally to penetration. And I realized also my partner values me and my pleasure equally to his. And that's, I think, a good feeling. Is something that I haven't reflected on as much because I do talk about and read about and think about sex from a very almost third-party perspective throughout my day. I help other people. I read with research. I go about, you know, making content. But when it comes to my own sex life, I was like, hmm, I have some digging to do. What are my values? What do I like? What don't I like? And why do we always have to say there's some formula that perfectly leads up to the main event, which is penetration, and then wonder why we set ourselves up to not have those mind-blowing orgasms. Just something to chew on. So while I was doing some soul searching, I was also doing tons of sex toy testing, material testing, and even looking at some novelties. And one of those things was the Clona-Willy. which people ask about constantly. And I get it. It's so much fun to have a copy of your favorite penis, uh, definitely. But the reason, this also ties into this whole foreplay thing. It was like so fun, even though it's a it's a pretty stressful process and it's pretty scientific. This is my like unofficial review of it on this podcast, I'll say that. But it was pretty fun and we were giggling the entire time and I felt so connected to my husband afterwards because we had just done something so ridiculous and fun and hilarious 
and I'm just laughing about it even now and I'll go grab him to see if he has anything to say about it but basically you mix exactly 414 milliliters of water that is exactly 32 degrees celsius which is like 90 fahrenheit and then you mix this molding thing in and you have to cut the tube to exactly an inch and a half above your penis erect and you have to stay hard for this entire process and it was just so like ridiculous like it was just so scientific for what we were doing which is just creating a silicone mold of his penis that I don't know it just brought us so much closer and I definitely if you're going to be doing this you need a sense of humor about it because it can get very stressful very quickly I was in the kitchen like mixing up this molding stuff while I was like okay <laughs> counting down 45 seconds and it's a good test of your communication skills and how you can work together and just your sense of humor Okay, so I grabbed my husband. This is Viktor. Hi, hi. Hi, hi. And every time we talk about the Colonel Willie, we laugh just so hard because it was not not in like a, oh my God, haha, penis type of way, but just because the experience, it was like, I should have had a lab coat on. It was just so yeah, ridiculous. It was, it was really scientific and you had to mix all the ingredients. Yeah, perfectly. Perfectly. And while the, you had to maintain an erection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And you had to be careful to have the right temperature. Yes. And everything. Uh, we followed the instructions very well. But oh, you did. My instruction was only to have a boner <laughs> the whole time. Exactly. Which went pretty well. Actually, it went excellently. I'll give you an A+. Plus. 10 out of 10 on the boner skills. Excellent. Thank you, yeah. But the... So, okay. It also takes, like, more than 24 hours. Because you mix the thing. The instructions are inside the package. But you mix the thing. And then you do the mold in this tube that they give you which you have to cut like to your size and then after that the mold has to dry for like four to eight hours so i ended up pouring the silicone at like two in the morning mm -hmm. and then it was like ready 24 hours from then yeah and i pulled it out and you saw it in the morning before you went to work and we were both laughing so hard because it's ridiculously realistic yeah it's really realistic you can see every single like pore basically yeah. <laughs> It's an exact copy, definitely. Like, and, it looks uh, like I took a, like, Lorena Bobbitt and, like, cut off your peen. <laughs> but it's... And it actually, the color we got, like, matches your color also. So it's even more realistic. Yeah. But we kind we messed up like a little bit like the vibrator part which is so crazy that they give us a vibrator isn't straight in there it's kind of lopsided yeah and so it's like not a perfect it's not a perfect but but it looks the same yeah as um, the original and so i don't even really know what to do with it because the silicone is peeling a little bit so i don't want to use it as a, like a dildo but i was thinking maybe we could just like frame it <laughs> <laughs> have it in a glass case but a pro tip from us would be maybe not using the vibrator yeah because that that messed it up a little bit i guess I yeah think. i think it like it'll make the mold maybe a little shorter than your actual peen well depending on how big if you have is. a big and girthy <laughs> girthy straight penis and it's perfect for the vibrator yeah but if you have a curve like mayhaps some of us may have then we also recommend doing the thing that you suggest 
which is like cutting the tube, which we didn't do, we which didn't is do. why. But it's lazy on our behalf. But it's um, okay. We might try it again and then do like an official review, and then yeah. I can like actually use. But you it. will do an official review. I will be the guinea pig as always. Yeah. Ha- happy, happy to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think people also want to do us to do an episode together where we answer some questions. Actually, they want to know more about you, the man behind the scenes you take all my photos do you just want to be behind the scenes or do you want to do a little i like being behind the scenes but if the people you gotta give the people what they want the people what they want (laughs) you would be down to answer some questions definitely for the people for the people i always people first people first I'm the second. You're the man for the, of the people. Man of the people, definitely. Okay, thank you for putting in your two cents about the Kona Willie. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anything Literally, I... your pleasure. Yeah. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> so thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of season two. This season is going to be a little bit different than season one in terms of having some more interviews, some personal anecdotes, and I dive into some really great topics. I hope you enjoyed having a more stream of consciousness type of episode. They'll be kind of in and out throughout the season as well. As always, you can reach out to me on my website, just birna.net. It'll be in the description and my Instagram, which is at B-B-I-R-N-A. DM me with your questions, your topics, your concerns, your hate mail. I will take it all. And of course, remember to review if you're listening to Apple Podcasts. It helps me so much. And I'm sending you some love wherever you are from all the way here in Iceland. Thank you.